From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, intravitreal triamcinolone. How much is enough? The world is more or less divided into two groups. On one hand, there is the group by um, Dr. Jonas in Heidelberg, uh, where they use 20 to 25 milligrams uh, on a regular basis, and almost everyone else uses about four milligrams. Some people use eight milligrams as well. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Chan declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. She will be referencing the off-label use of triamcinolone. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Intravitreal triamcinolone, IVTA, has been demonstrated to be beneficial in the treatment of clinically significant diabetic macular edema, but there is little consensus about the appropriate dose to inject. Depending upon the institution, doses range from 4 milligrams to 20 milligrams. Carmen Chan from the Chinese University of Hong Kong has investigated different doses of intravitreal triamcinolone for the treatment of diabetic macular edema and recently published her results. Prior to your study, what evidence existed that intravitreal triamcinolone was beneficial for the treatment of CSME, or as you guys say, CSMO? Yeah, I mean, there are actually um, um, well, studies published saying that it is well, th- there are studies published saying that it is better than placebo, and um, that was quite a good study by uh, Chili Zetel, um, published in Ophthalmology in May. Uh, whereas if you compare um, trans- IVTA to laser, um, the evidence is slightly more controversial. I think there's no, no doubt that, well, everyone knows that uh, IVTA can reduce macular edema in the short term and can improve vision more effectively than, than laser in the short term, saying one to three months. However, in the long term, nobody really knows because most of the published studies only goes up to six to 12 months. So we don't know how the effects of IVTA compare with uh, laser. Now, from a physiologic standpoint, how, how does IVTA or, or intravitreal triamcinolone work? Well, it is thought that, um, well, first, if we think about the pathogenesis of uh, diabetic macular edema, it is thought that the ischemic retina kind of mounts an inflammatory response and uh, releases inflammatory mediators like uh, vascular endothelial growth factors. And um, what uh, corticosteroids do, well, what they do is they, of course, and well, anti-inflammatory drugs, and they act on the arachidonic acid pathway to reduce inflammation, and they also downregulate VEGF uh, as well. And transcinolone has been uh, shown to reduce uh, the um, uh, blood retinal barrier breakdown and therefore reducing the, the edema. 
when you see the rapid recovery in patients' vision after giving intravitreal triamcinolone, what aspect of the intravitreal triamcinolone, what, what, what mechanism is the, is the intravitreal triamcinolone? I know what you're asking. I think um, so far this is just the, the theory. Whether it really works that way, no one really knows. But um, IVTA um, reaches a maximal effect at about, at, well, in fact, it starts working right afterwards. Like at one to two weeks, you can see the reduction of macular edema, and it reaches its maximal effect by one month. But um, I suppose if it works by well, the inflammatory, anti-inflammatory effects, it, it might take longer. But, but, was, but on the other hand, I was just thinking that, like, for example, with the treatment of say uveitis with oral steroids, it also works in one to two weeks. I mean, yeah, the effects will kick in in one to two weeks as well. So I suppose it's not. Um, it's not too surprising that it works within that time frame. What are the established adverse effects of intravitreal triamcinolone? Well, the three main side effects are um, intraocular pressure rise, uh, increased cataracts, and uh, endophthalmitis, the pseudoendophthalmitis and the infective endophthalmitis. Is there an accepted dose for intravitreal triamcinolone? Well, um, I think the world is more or less divided into two groups. On one hand, there is uh, the group by... Um, um, Dr. Jonas in Heidelberg, uh, where they use 20 to 25 milligrams uh, on a regular basis, and almost everyone else uses f about 4 milligrams. Some people use 8 milligrams as well. Is the severity of side effects related to dose? Um, well, so far, there, there has only been one previous paper uh, prior to ours um, doing a head-to-head -head comparison between the different doses, and that is the one um, published by Jonas's um, group, where they compared 2, 5, and is it, I think 2, 5, and 13 milligrams. In that study, they didn't find a difference between the cataract um, rate nor the intraocular pressure, not, not significant anyway, but the numbers are, quite, are, are not very large. And if you look at the, pap the other papers in general, depending on how you define an IOP rise, if you give 4 milligrams, or, um, well, about four milligrams, then the intraocular rise in, uh, prevalence is about uh, 30%, and w 30 to 40%. But that is the same in uh, uh, Jonas's group as well, it's about 30 to 40%. So that does not seem to be, there doesn't seem to be a great difference, although conceptually you would think that, of course, with a higher dose, you would get a dose-related IOP effect. So, yeah, conceptually, there should be a difference, but there hasn't been convincing evidence showing that there is a difference between the IOP effects. What about the duration of the side effects? Is it longer with higher doses? I think generally it has, it, um, once again, there's been no direct comparison between the different uh, doses, but um, it is usually thought that the four milligrams, the effects on the side effects, last about four months. Uh, whereas for the higher dose, doses, uh, 20 to 25 milligrams, the effects and side effects last up to nine months. But uh, usually it's, trans it's transient, the, um, the IOP rise is transient. And in almost all cases, well, in most cases anyway, it, it will return to normal after um, the IVT has been absorbed. Can I have you describe the design of your study? Uh, the study is a prospective randomized um, comparative case series, and uh, the patients were, well, there, I think there were 
63 eyes of 63 patients randomized to receiving 4, 6, and 8 milligrams of uh, intravitreal trypsinolone. And then we followed them up for six months in the study. And what sort of pathology did these patients have? What sort of pathology? Uh, all of them had, had um, diabetic macular edema. Uh, in our inclusion criteria, uh, apart from the ETDRS uh, definition of uh, CSME, um, we also specified that they needed to have a central foveal thickness of greater than 250 microns uh, on the OCT, on the ocular uh, optical coherent tomography. What were your main outcome measures for this study? Uh, the, the outcome measures were um, the changes in the best corrected uh, visual acuity, uh, the, uh, the central foveal thickness, um, and also uh, the side effects were also compared. You describe central foveal thickness in terms of a measure called SCMT. Can you tell me what that is? Uh, the SCMT is uh, the standardized change in macular thickness and it's a way of uh, describing the changes, well, in the macular thickness. Um, and it was first um, proposed by uh, Chan and Duca, um, a different Chan from myself, of course. And uh, if you are trying to calculate the SCMT at one month, then you use the baseline um, central, central macular thickness minus the... Um, central uh, fulfill thickness at one month, and you divide the whole thing by um, the baseline central fulfill thickness minus the normal central fulfill thickness. What it does, it actually gives you the percentage change, actual change, over the, the um, maximum potential change. For example, <laughs> this is quite difficult to uh, explain. For example, if, say, the initial, um, uh, the baseline um, macular thickness is 500 microns, and the normal is defined as 182, actually, 182, so it can reduce by about 320. However, if, so if um, the macular thickness has reduced from 500 to 400, so that gives you 100 over 320, and that expresses it as a percentage. In terms of the administration of the triamcinolone, how was the triamcinolone prepared? Was it, was it washed? Did you use it straight from the, the vial? Uh, we just used it straight from the vial. The reason that, that, I, that I bring it up is, once more, with uh, Jonas's group, that, of, of course, they're, they're using a much a much higher quantity of triamcinolone, uh, but it's washed prior to, um, to administration. I think that has always been a um, debate as to whether the triamcinolone should be washed because of the vehicle and uh, um, the benzyl alcohol in it. Um, I think um, in their group, they, ha they have, um, I think in a recent paper, they have described a zero incidence of pseudoenophthalmitis, whereas pseudoenophthalmitis is it's a known described side effects of transcendental injection, which we have also observed in our own, um, in our own um, patients. However, the, um, if you need to wash the um, transcendental crystals, it, it does involve additional procedures. And I understand in uh, Eunice's group, they, the, the pharmacy was willing to do it for them. So it's all prepared in sterile condition, whereas we don't have that facility. So therefore, we have to balance the risk of washing the crystals 
and increasing the risk of contamination when we do the filtering procedure. Can I have you walk me through the injection procedure? Uh, was it done in the the exam lane? Was it done in, in, an, in an operating room, in a minor operating room? Uh, we do it in our, um, in our outpatient clinic in the treatment room. And uh, the patient is first given um, a local anesthetic drop, for example, uh, amethacane or um, alkane. Then we uh, drop one drop of 5% povidone aldine to clean the eye and then soak the eye in 2% salicin gel for some time first. To, and then meanwhile, um, we set things up, uh, sterile gloves, but we're not gowned, and then we just prep the eye as if we're doing a cataract operation. So we wash the skin with 10% uh, povidone aldine, uh, clean the lashes, um, drop another drop of 5% povidone aldine into the eye, and then drape, drape the eyelashes, speculum, and um, then um, using uh, caliper, if the patient is phacic, then we measure 4 millimeters posterior to the limbus, if the patient is pseudophagic or aphagic, then 3.5 posterior to limbus, and we inject um, the transfer alone. Um, if it's 4, four milligrams, then a 0.1 mil in a tuberculin syringe attached to a 27-gauge needle, and we, we inject it usually through uh, the inferior nasal or inferior temporal quadrant. And after the injection, we uh, have a feel to see if the eyeball is tense. And if the eyeball is tense, then we do an AC paracentesis, either with a 30-gauge needle or with a catena uh, knife, which is like um, a tiny paracentesis knife. Then afterwards, we just put a bit more, put another drop of povidone aldine, clean the eye up. Um, we'll, we will pad the eye until the patient is home and then ask them to remove the padding at home. Carmen, what was the length of follow-up for this study? Uh, the follow-up uh, in this paper is six months, but in actual fact, we're, we are um, following these patients up for two years. Um, so hopefully we will have the two-year results later, uh, but we haven't quite analyzed the data yet. Can I have you describe your findings? The findings, so in terms of the um, visual acuity, so unfortunately, the baseline visual acuity of the six milligram group was worse than the, uh, significantly worse than the four and eight milligram groups. So therefore, for the visual acuity part, we only compared the four and eight milligrams. So if we were comparing the absolute um, uh, BCVA, there was actually no significant um, differences between the two groups at all time points. But if we were to compare the improvement of the um, BCVA um, from baseline, then at six months, the eight milligram group shows a significantly better result than the four milligrams group. You know, I, I, I don't think that, that we made it clear. There, there were three groups in, in this study. There was a, a group that got four milligrams of triamcinolone, a group that got six milligrams, and a group that got eight milligrams of triamcinolone. Yeah, yeah, four, six, and eight milligrams. But uh, because the baseline um, VA wasn't comparable um, between, well, the six milligram group was worse than, significantly worse than the four and eight. So we had to take, take that one out. Uh, from the eventual analysis of the VA. Uh, so we only compared the 4 and 8 milligrams for the, for the VA. So comparing, to, well, so comparing the 8 and the 4 milligrams groups, the 8 milligrams group had a better improvement of VA by six months compared to 4 milligrams. Of course, the, 
the vision was improved in both groups, but and the peak was uh, about the same, but it was only later on then that uh, the curves diverged, as in in the four milligrams group, the vision improved to a maximum at about at about four weeks, and then it started deteriorating again. Whereas in the eight milligrams group, the the effects were more sustained. Therefore, by six months, there was a significant difference between the two groups. And in terms of macular thickness? In terms of macular thickness, we compared the three groups because um, the four, six, and eight milligrams groups, because they were comparable. And um, we found, in, well, if we compare the um, absolute central real thickness or the standard change in macular thickness, there was no there was actually no significant differences between the three groups at any time point. However, there was a trend towards better improvement, especially six months for the eight milligrams group compared to the six and four milligrams. In terms of the results, um, since we measured the best corrected uh, visual acuity and the central foveal thickness, for all three groups, uh, four, six, and eight milligrams, the improvements of both those parameters occurred across the three groups. I think the st statistics problems is that the uh, numbers of patients is quite small, and and, um, and I think that might explain why we're not um, getting um, a significant result. And what about in terms of side effects? Were there differences between the groups? Um, well, there was a trend towards um, high intraocular pressure for the eight milligrams group. Um, in in that, about uh, 55 well, 55 percent of the patients in the eight milligrams group had a higher maximum IOP than 21 uh, millimeters of mercury compared to 39% in the four milligrams group. But the difference also did not reach a, a statistical significance. Oh, and the cataract, um, th there was no difference between the three groups, but, we, but that was only um, after six months of follow-up. So, of course, as you know, cataractogenesis is a long, is a slow process, so maybe the results are not evident yet in the six months. Were there differences in terms of the duration of the side effects? Because within the six months, not all the patients uh, could come off their anti-glaucoma medications. And at six months, um, there, were, there was a higher percentage of patients in the eight milligrams group compared to the four milligrams group who were remaining on anti-glaucoma medication. So we could postulate that the, the side effects were also um, more long-lasting in the 8 milligrams group. You've been following these patients now beyond the six months time frame of, of the paper. How, how have they been doing since then in terms of side effects? For the, the higher doses, the, um, well, we have observed that um, the IOP uh, side effects last longer. But I think fortunately for all our patients, they all return to normal eventually. <laughs> Um, if we didn't give them an, a repeat injection. But the side effects la uh, lasted longer in, in the 8 milligrams group. Uh, Carmen, how do your findings compare to, to those of, of other researchers? Our findings concur with uh, the other authors in that a higher dose may give you a longer-lasting effect and also longer-lasting side effects as well. Now, you measured both the improvement in, in vision and improvement in macular thickness. Did those two findings correspond in, in time? Was the improvement in vision concurrent with the improvement in macular edema? The improvement in the macular edema came first, and then 
um, the improvement in vision came slightly later. And um, I think, in fact, when we observe these patients for longer, when there is a recurrence of the macular edema, the deterioration of vision also occurred later. So there's a time lag between, so there's a time lag. So the changes in the macular thickness comes first and the changes in the vision comes later. What do you think accounts for that lag? Um, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, some, uh, some authors have um, postulated that it may be related to the duration of the macular edema and the effects on the cells. So I presume it's because the cells need optimal and an, an optimal environment to work, and it's after some time that you've reduced the macular edema that they attain their uh, a better environment. I presume, but I'm not entirely sure. Since you found that the duration, both of the positive and negative effects of triamcinolone, was to some extent dependent upon the dose. And since over the long term, what this would mean is that the patients with the lower four milligram dose would require more intravitreal injections than patients with the higher dose, do you have to factor in that uh, the risk of endophthalmitis for these patients is probably going to be greater because they're going to be getting more injections? Granted, none of your patients suffered this complication, but is that something that you have to factor in? Um, I think theoretically, if you're giving more shots, then the chance of getting the the injection-related side effects will be will be will be larger, will will be more prevalent, like anaphylactic, and also there's a very small chance of like vitreous hemorrhage, retinal detachment, etc. With every injection, so theoretically, with a smaller dose, because you're giving more injections, you would get more more side well more injection-related side effects. I don't want to lead you to a particular answer. If you feel that this is not something that is practically relevant, then by all means say so. Yeah, I, th- I think theoretically you could get more more side effects that way. I mean, I think the same applies to the new um, anti-FEGF treatment because they need to be given on a monthly basis and injection-related side effects are probably going to be more with those those injections as well. Now, as you made reference to earlier, Yost Yonis' group used, depending upon the way that you look at it, between 20 and 25 milligrams of intravitreal triamcinolone. Was this dose too high to include in your study? Um, I think, um, as, I, as I have alluded to earlier, it's, the pra- it's actually the practicalities of injecting that, that, uh, that amount into the eye because since they use the filtering method, they can reduce, they can condense, well, they wash it, and they can condense the volume down. Whereas, because we're injecting straight from the bottle, it, it's, it's difficult to inject more than 0.2 mils into the eye, because eight, well, 4 milligrams is 0.1 mil, and 8 milligrams is 0.2 mil, and 0.2 mil is already quite a large volume, and we can't actually inject any more into the eye. That, that is one of the, our problems. Knowing what you've learned now from this study, what do you do, Carmen, in your own practice? Well, in my own practice, I, I, actually, use, I actually use four milligrams uh, as the routine. I, one of the reasons is um, the injection volume, because um, as you know, well, all our patients are Chinese patients, and Chinese patients have shallower anterior chambers than Caucasians. And if the way of 
well, after you've injected the transalone, you need, if the algal is tense, you need to do an AC paracentesis. And there's only so much you can release by doing the AC paracentesis, if you see what I mean. If you, if you, yeah. So I actually, I, I actually am quite worried about the, the immediate um, rise in IOP after, straight after the injection. So therefore, I use the four milligrams. And but I think the key is um, I think the key is to choose your, the appropriate patient. Uh, I think papers have been published saying that patients with worse DA and also a cystic morphology to their uh, macular edema benefit more from IBTA. And uh, in my own practice, or in our own practice in our hospital, we um, in suitable patients will combine it with uh, with laser. A marvelous, Carmen. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Carmen Chan is Honorary Clinical Assistant Professor at the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Her paper, A Prospective Randomized Trial of Different Doses of Intravitreal Triamcinolone for Diabetic Macular Edema, appears in the September 2006 issue of the British Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Chan or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States style area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275. Or Skype J Young MD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.